Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge, and we're going to be talking about the... What are we going to be talking about today? The Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union. And our guest is Mike Gaddy, and I'm in the process of getting Brad Peoples on with us here. And hopefully he should be, he's waiting and we should have him on here in just a second and we'll get fired up and get rolling. Hopefully. Uh, come on, Brad. I think it's ringing him. Come on. There we are. Hello. Okay. Hey, Brad. Welcome to the show. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys? Uh, better than I deserve. Mike, how are you? I'm here. Fantastic. Better than being there, right? That's why we're yeah, all here, because we, we ain't all there. <laughs> all righty. So, you were talking, Mike, you want to do something about the uh, the Articles of Confederation, right? Well, sure. I think that is something that uh, most Americans know little to nothing about. Yep. They know even less about the Articles of Confederation than they do about the Constitution. And yep. they know almost nothing about that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a very interesting story, and it uh, really tells so much about uh, the people that we call founders in the founding era. But uh, I was just wondering, I know my buddy uh, Brad there from uh, Ohio is uh, all charged up, I can tell, because we, were t we talked yesterday. <laughs> Did you have a subject you wanted to broach first, my friend? No, not necessarily. Life is constantly giving me uh, experiences right now, so um, no, not necessarily. Just okay. The drama unfold day by day. Oh yes, it's a new soap opera every time uh, the sun comes up, isn't it? Hey, I just wanted to say real quick: anybody that ever happens to be in the uh, vicinity of uh, Caldwell, Ohio, make sure you stop by Wally's Pizza. The pizza is fantastic, and the uh, staff are wonderful. <laughs> Just wanted to put well, thanks, that out. I, I had a chance to get out there last Friday. I drove an hour and a half each way. And it was well worth it. I'll tell you what, we just had a great time just sitting out there on the uh, picnic table, uh, chatting for a little bit, you know, keeping the keeping Brad from getting his work done. <laughs> and uh, the employees that uh, worked for him were, were very gracious and uh, wonderful, took great care of everything while we were yakking. And uh, it's funny, every car that drove by was waving at him. <laughs> it's like, is there anybody in this town you don't know? <laughs> nope <laughs> so anyway yeah, there's not it was great we had a wonderful time we had a great time it was wonderful just getting a chance to meet brad personally and uh enjoy some pizza and it was yummy so just wanted to plug that in real quick now we may proceed all right guys uh one of the things i don't think most people know is that uh of course an awful lot of people left england and other places to come to the shores of america for freedom, uh, freedom to practice their religion, freedom to do what they wanted to do. And they came here for that. But those people came not as the wealthy and the wealthy aristocracy. Those came as people, just common, ordinary people, uh, uh, Joe Sixpack, as we would call them today in America, just trying to find a better way of life. And 
the thing that is not studied is the people that were sent by the king to America with huge land grants. And the king saw, King George and Parliament saw, that there was all kind of resources to be had in America. So here's the way you do it. You send people over, and they are, of course, uh, from the aristocracy in Britain, or they wouldn't be getting these land grants. So you send them to America with grants of hundreds of thousands of acres. And you send them to America and you say, okay, here's, you have this land grant. All of this land is yours. But guess what? Everything that's on it belongs to the crown. So all the timber that's on it, you cut the timber, send it back to us. And, and so we can have the timber. If there are any minerals to be found, gold, silver, that belongs to the king as well. But the land is yours. And so what happened was, is the king created wealth in a lot of people because you give people, you know, uh, tens of thousands of acres and then they start parsing it out to, to the folks who had come over seeking freedom. So then those people are given that the king sends over with his blessings are also given trade protection. So in essence, the king created a ruling class in America. And that ruling class was doing quite well. Those were the wealthy and the well-born, so to speak. But uh, in the 1760s, the king said, wait a minute, those people are spreading out too fast. So I need to do something about it. So then he forbade anyone to move beyond the Alleghenies or the Appalachians. He wanted to keep the people concentrated. They could be, be uh, better controlled and better taxed. We see that today in big cities. So he wanted to keep them all together, didn't want them spreading out and getting way out there. So he forbade the uh, uh, anyone to move into the West, as it was called at the time, to move into the West and to uh, procure property from the Indians. He made it against the law for the crown for anyone to purchase land from the Indians. Well, there was one guy in America who just uh, kind of completely ignored that, along with several others, and his name was George Washington. And so, and at that time, Washington had tens of thousands of acres himself that he had secured. So here was the point that Americans do not seem to understand is that at the time of 1765, when the Stamp Act came through, which was the ignition for the revolution, which happened 12 years later. But that was the point of which the Sons of Liberty were formed. This is where the other uh, people like Patrick Henry and others became adamant about their liberty. But the people who were the wealthy and the well-born, the lawyers, the merchants, and the others who had become rich through the influence of the king, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. They had a real problem. How are we going to do this? They were going, because we've got the people here, our neighbors, who are terribly upset with what the king's doing and the way that we're being taxed. And initially, 
everyone was going along with the Stamp Act. Benjamin Franklin was going along with the Stamp Act. Most all of the people that we knew who were Federalists went along with the Stamp Act. There was no problem. They were all ready to just jump on board and help the king prosper because the king had allowed them to prosper as well. But then it, it got more and more out of hand the farther it went. So the wealthy and the well-born found themselves in a very ticklish situation. Many of them remained loyal to the crown and were called loyalists. Benjamin Franklin's son left America to go to England to show his loyalty to the crown. Many others left. Others, their land was seized and taken by this new breed of what history at that time called radicals. So if you go back and you read the history of that period of time, the two terms that were used were conservatives, and the conservatives were those who were loyal to the king, and radicals were the ones who opposed all of the taxation and everything that was happening. So the Sons of Liberty, Patrick Henry, and others were the instigators of the revolution. There never would have been a revolution against England if it would have been left up to the John Adams, the Franklins, and the others who were wealthy beyond imagination at that time because of their association with the crown. But they really had a serious problem. So they had to, in many instances, go along with the radicals. And so we had a revolution of which the radicals won. So in 1776, in that period of time, 1777, the radicals were very much influencing all of the policies. So they decided that they needed a written form of government. So we came up with the Articles of Confederation. That was a document of the radicals. That was the freedom seeking. That was the sons of liberty. That was the, um, the Patrick Henry's of their day. And they had read about how, and they had read for several years, some of the most read works at the time were Cato's letters and others from England that they had read stating that you cannot put power in the hands of individuals for too long a period of time because if you do, they all grow corrupt. It has to be limited. There has to be, if you're going to have a central government, it must be severely limited. And so that's why in the Articles of Confederation, you had term limits. No one could serve more than three years out of any six. They had instant recall. If you went uh, off to Congress and you didn't do what you said you were going to do, they just sent you a little note and said, hey, get your butt on back home because you ain't doing what you're supposed to. They didn't have to wait two years or four years or six years to replace them. They could do it instantaneously. And second, they truly believed in the in the what the Declaration of Independence had said they believed in consent of the governed, which meant consent of all of the governed, not a majority, 
all of the governed. And that's why in Article 13, no provision could pass Congress without 100% approval of the states. This was a document which represented the very essence of the Declaration of Independence. But the wealthy and well-born who were still wealthy started saying to themselves, hey, we can't have, and if you read their letters, they will tell you. It's very plain in their letters, especially from Alexander Hamilton. And Washington did the same thing. Hey, we can't trust the common man here because they will not choose the way that we need them to go. So we must have a government of coercion. We must have a way to force the masses to do exactly what we want to do. And so the Federalists proposed this secret convention. And that's how we got the Constitution. Because this was a another revolution. This was a counter-revolution in favor of the wealthy and the well-born. John Jay, Alexander Hamilton, many of them wrote that, hey, the common man is unfit to, ju unfit to rule. And John Jay said the people who own the country must rule the country. Now, these are all in those original documents, these original letters that they were sending back and forth. And uh, Washington, in a letter to John Jay, said, we can't trust the people to do what they they want to. We have a right to impose our imperial dignity and command obedience. And this is the thing that this is the reason that we have been taught if we if the Articles of Confederation are mentioned. They are always mentioned in the fact, oh, they were too weak. They were just too weak. Yes, they were too weak to the Federalists. Because the Federalists could not force their wishes and their desires. On the common man with the Articles of Confederation. So, Mike, I got a question. Shoot. The this boils down to the winners and the losers of the war that we fought for our independence, battling out their own version of government. The winners form the Articles of Confederation. The losers come back and form the Constitution. Well said. And what we had back then, Brad, was the formation of the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist before they had that name. Back then, they were the radicals and the conservatives. Well, the conservatives became the Federalists because they wanted to conserve the government of the king because that's what made them wealthy. That's what gave them control. So they wanted to conserve that. The radicals opposed it. But in today's parlance, if you pick up a book and the people who really wanted liberty are called radicals, what is the immediate what is the immediate thought? What's the immediate conception? Oh, these radicals! Oh, radicals are bad. So what we in essence had, and that was what uh, Alexander Hamilton on June the eighteenth actually pitched for, was hey, the best form of government known to man is the Parliament under the King, and that's why on June the eighteenth Alexander Hamilton proposed a monarchy for America. And that's when James Madison responded, uh-oh, 
Madison let the cat out of the bag. And that's also why they had a secret meeting. That's why the Constitutional Convention was in secret. This was a conspiracy against the people, the masses of the people in favor of the wealthy and the well-born. That's why the great majority of, not great majority, but the majority of the people who wrote and signed the Constitution were all lawyers. So this is the thing, when I hear people talking about, oh, look at all the rights that we have in the Constitution, there were, that wasn't what the Constitutional Convention of 1787 was about. The Constitutional Convention of 1787 was a revolution to take back the government, which the radicals like Patrick Henry and Samuel Adams and the Sons of Liberty, to take it back what they had won. That is why I get so exasperated trying to teach people that this Constitution is not what they think it is. It was never They just intended. had to dress it up that way. Yes, they had to dress it up. That is why Samuel Bryan in Sentinel said they will have to cloak this design in the robes of divinity to get the people to, to take it. And if you read the Anti-Federalists today, the Anti-Federalists tell you unequivocally what will happen with a government such as that proposed in the Constitution. Any thoughts, Jim? I'm just sitting here listening. Everything makes sense. And again, something you never heard in high school history. Well, I was talking to my good friend Mike Clifford up in uh, northwest Arkansas on the phone last night. Mm -hmm. And we were comparing, uh, you know, through our elementary school, our, <clears throat> pardon me, our high school and our college days, what we had could remember having been taught about the Articles of Confederation. <laughs> <clears throat> and all I could remember in 16 years of education was the Articles of Confederation were weak and they had to be changed. Basically, that's what I remember. And no one said why they were weak. They just said yep. that they were weak. Yep. Yeah, the assumption is that if the Articles of Confederation came first and the Constitution came second, that the Constitution is a more evolved form of government we just assume that it's the same people who want and need each one it's just that one is a better version of the other nobody presents this in a fashion where it would represent the will of two different groups of people like you know the the thought is when you're dumb and young like me the thought is when we won the war the losers went back to britain and the winners stayed home and founded uh, our, our country as we know it now. Nobody really thinks that since this war was fought on American soil that some of the losers were still around, right? Right. Well, my yeah. friend from uh, northwest Arkansas made this very abundant last night, and he brought it up with a modern-day comparison. He said, I just read where the Taliban 
in uh, Afghanistan has told all of the people there who supported the American regime to pack their bags and get the hell out of town. And he said, unfortunately, and Brad, you alluded to it very presciently. He said, unfortunately, when America was founded, we didn't do the same thing with the Tories. Good point. So basically, those guys learned from their loss. And they yes. knew that if they were to come back and win and, and secure this government, that you have to do it in a way that is covert. We, we can't win and gain control and people remember it that way or recognize it that way. So we've got to dress this Constitution up as a document of liberty so that we don't have to fight another war and potentially lose again. Right. And so that is the reason, in many respects, when people, people look at you like you have three heads, when you say, were you aware that at the Constitutional Convention, a Bill of Rights was voted down unanimously. If that doesn't tell you what they were there for, if that doesn't tell you the entire purpose of the Constitutional Convention, you probably ought to go back to second grade. Amen. Because people today who, Jim, and you and I, I forgot when it was, probably been a year or so ago when we talked about the CONCON uh -huh. and how that, how that came about. And today people believe that if they have a CONCON, a con constitutional convention, that they can go back and they can, they can reinstitute these rights. Well, you can't reinstitute something that was never there to start with. That's for sure. Not to mention the fact that things are going to degrade even more. They're not going to get better. You know, what's exactly. happened over the last 250 years, um, the people that would be appointed as delegates would be the yes-men, all the people that are um, the intelligentsia, so to speak, and they're going to, they're going to take us back in the other direction. Well, a great question here, gentlemen, is can a common, ordinary, everyday person, someone in your community, someone that you know, what are their chances of them being elected to national office? <laughs> Slim to none. So how can we say this is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? Because we vote, Mike. We, we vote, doggone it. Yeah, and we have found out what happens when elections uh, need to be swayed to fit the government's agenda. <clears throat> Pardon me. I don't know how many of you folks have looked at this uh, farce of an election in uh, California two days ago. I don't know how many of you have looked at that, but that was an absolute farce. In the state of California, you could print out your own ballot on your computer. Mm-hmm. Now, how many people think they just printed one? Yeah. Yeah, it was just a replay of 2020. And in 2022 will be an election that will go in favor of the government. I don't care who your candidates are. 
They might give you the appearance of change, like Carol Quigley wrote in Tragedy and Hope back in 1968. We will give the appearance of change, but nothing truly will ever change. All you have to do is to give the people the appearance of change. And, and the people will fall for that because the, uh, the vote or the election is the pacifier that the government has allowed them to suck on while they rob them. Man. And it's, it's not going to change this constitution, like Lysander Spooner said, this constitution was either designed to allow all of this or it is absolutely powerless to prevent it. I used that line in a sermon at a Presbyterian church about three months ago. About half on accident and about half quoting that. But, you know, it's a valid point. How, how much oppression do you have to see or be victim of before you realize that apparently nothing is stopping this? I mean, whether you believe there's a mechanism in place to stop it or not, something is allowing this. And, and my brother and I just had a good conversation about this because he said people don't care enough to even be involved in these discussions and to look up why this stuff matters. But he said that they'll start caring when it affects their life and their finances. Exactly. And I said, well, that's that's funny because all of the COVID excitement and the vaccine excitement is going to do both in one way or another. Yeah. And then people are going to realize that, but what? We've got to come up with a solution and we don't have the education that we need to, to cook up a good one. But they're going to look to the Constitution for protection when the Constitution is what brought hell down on them. Powerful statement, Mike. You know, I, I was talking to my brother about Trump and Jim and I had the same conversation on Friday is even even let's just say that that Trump is just a man of God and sent by God himself and was the victim of genuine election fraud. Does that still mean we should succumb to more government? Our, our current problem, and this is a very key distinction in my feeble mind, our current problem is not that we have a bad government. Our current problem is that government is bad period. The very function that it's meant to serve eventually corrupts everybody involved in it. So even if Trump makes some kind of triumphant return, what, we're just going to sign up for more government? And he says, well, what do you do? Do you just break free and start your own society? I said, I don't know, man. Sounds like a good idea. It does. And I don't know how you do that because like Mike told me one time that so many people are are so uninformed that they don't even realize why what they don't know matters. You know, people don't even really pay attention. I mean, I was I, I told my brother, I'm like, I'm ready for war going into work in my county government on Monday because I'm assuming that this last round of requirements from Biden is going to actually trigger people. And they're going to start wondering, oh, my gosh, does he have constitutional authority to do that? Nobody cared. 
Nobody asked the question. And I said, well, I don't know if that's just because they don't take the guy serious, if it's because they're not even aware that he said these things, or if it's just this subservient attitude. But either way, there's no discussion about it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to go causing a problem where there isn't one. But that's the average mindset of the average American. Can't argue that point. Nope. So, so what do you do? Just Patrick Henry your way out of this and just preach from the, the third floor of the courthouse from a loudspeaker? I, well, I don't know what you do. I said we need Mike Gaddy to draft a declaration of sovereign rights. You know, let's just break free from this government. That's that's ultimately the one parachute that we've had all along, and we don't even know how to reach the ripcord. We just have to break up. Well, Brad? Go ahead, Cody. you got to have enough states or people to do it to have a big enough landmass to have an economy or have access to the ports that will just make war on you. You know, that's the problem. And I'm glad Patrick Henry didn't make that point. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this. I, if, if you guys haven't looked at Joel Skousen's uh, website, I would encourage everybody to do it. It's Joel, S-K-O-U-S-E-N. He's the He's been on InfoWars. He's been, he writes the World yeah, Affairs. Yeah, and he is very well connected to the New World Order, my friend. Well, if you read the compact that he's got, it's got a lot more rights than we've got now in the in the Constitution that he's kind of, he said he made in tight legal language. So I, I don't know. So if you argue, well, we've got got enough with the Constitution, but if it's just followed. but We don't need another working. Constitution. <laughs> what do we need? What we, what we need is less government. We don't need more um, another Constitution for another government. Any centralized government. No centralized government in the history of man has ever not done this. You can't put that much power in so few people. You just can't do it because if that has happened, look what the Articles of Confederation did. One state out of 13 could say, not no, but hell no. You're not doing this. And when it happened repeatedly, guess who resigned his seat in Congress? And went home. Not sure. Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) Hamilton pushed this and pushed pushed these uh, uh, tax schemes through the Congress of the Articles of Confederation. He was elected to Congress from New York. He pushed one tax scheme after another. But one state, two states, or three states would always block it. Alexander Hamilton got so frustrated... He resigned from Congress and then started working for a new constitutional convention. And they tried it in Annapolis, Maryland in 1786, and they couldn't get enough states to show up. And someone, uh, General Knox and General Lincoln, told them, if you're going to get this to work, you're going to have to get Washington involved. Washington is going to have to come. Are you o- oversimplifying it, Mike? Because it's my understanding that sto- the, some of the states were about to go to war with themselves over not being allowed to trade in, in different Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going to make a statement like that, give me the proof. 
Well, that's what I've argued with people about this Constitution using some of your information, and then they'll they'll start. Well, that was the reason is that they were you know the states were about right, and there. I think I sent you that show. There was some YouTube video. I can't remember the name of it, but it was something about you know talking about the time during the founding, and that's what they were portraying. I don't know if it's of true. Of course they were, because the Marxists took over the educational system. When the Marxists took over the educational system, they planted all of this bull crap in there so people would have something to lean on. When someone makes a statement to you, Cody, and says, well, the states were about to go to war with each other, prove it. Well, wasn't it seems like there, yeah, there was, wasn't there unfairness with one state's business over another? That was the part of the issue that, you know, some states were, um, you know, obviously doing, you know, trade in, in the favor of their state versus. What's wrong with know, that? Yeah, like I said, I can't talk intelligently about it. I don't know all the facts off the top of my head. I just know there was supposedly some talk about that, but like, yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, what's wrong with that? Exactly. Who, who, if a state sets up its own set of rules and the people are prospering by that and you live in another state, get off your ass and move over to that one. We don't have that option anymore because of our constitution. If one state has a better set of rules and regulations and their, their people are prospering, the other states are either going to have to go along with them or they're, they're going to lose people. So you create a competition among the states. What could ever be wrong with that? Mike, are you familiar with uh, J.R. Nyquist? He's been on the Liberty Man at different times. He was on yesterday. On oh, Nyquist. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I, I I brought up the idea of using the Fifth Amendment to, to sue in federal court over the, the Federal Reserve. And that opened up a can of worms, not only with him, but some callers that can't called in after me to really uh, con- contend with him and what he was saying. He tried to say, well, you know, the people only live to be 50 years old. And after that, the quality of living went up. Well, he's, he's forgetting about the petroleum age. He's conveniently attributing all of that to the Federal Reserve. He's, you know, he's forgetting that the petroleum age and... Yeah, has really increased the you know lifespan and, and the quality of, of life. So I thought that was interesting that he supposedly is educated and he just totally attributed all to the Fed and then some other people called in and couldn't believe what you know that he you know was justifying the Federal Reserve and uh, so anyway, I just so anyway, I just think it's, think it's, think it's, What the hey, hell is I, that? The hell is that? Can I interject something? Gary, you got a really Gary, bad, got connection. A really bad connection. A lot of background noise. Well, that's because I'm driving down 90. Heading Can to you Montana. roll up your window? Can you roll up your window? They're rolled up. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, make it quick and then mute. All right, make it quick and then mute. I will. But they, can Cody speak up or get closer to his mic? You can hear Mike fine, but you can't hardly hear Cody. And then, Cody, to address your background on the um, life expectancy. If you back out the child deaths of past histories, you'll find out the life expectancy is almost the exact same as what it is today. That's all. All right. Good point. Good point. Okay, I went ahead and muted Gary because it was just too bad. Ooh, gosh. 
Was everybody hearing me okay, or is it just his? his oh, I'm hearing you fine. Yeah, uh, there's but, there's uh, some people Cody. on the Jitsi board are having issues for some reason. To those that are having issues, you need to refresh your screen, or uh, if you're on the phone, sign out, sign back in. That'll probably clear things up because he's coming through just fine for most people. Cody, if anyone tells you that there's a solution to this to be found in the federal courts, they're a freaking idiot. So anyone who mentions, oh, we can take this to the federal courts, I discount them right away as being a non-player because yeah, no, they're I, lost. It's hard, yeah. It's hard. You've always said that. It's hard to win in their courts, absolutely. It's impossible if they don't want you to. They hold are all the cards, familiar? and this is, a, guys, this is affecting them. Are you guys familiar with what happened to the Branch Davidians in their trial? Other than being railroaded? Was it federal or state? Federal. Federal. The jury found him not guilty, and the judge overruled the verdict. There you go. So if anyone thinks for a minute there's an answer to be found, always remember this. I forgot what year it was, but it was Proposition 87 in California that had to do with immigration, illegal immigration. Proposition 87 was passed by the people of California and one frickin' judge in another state wearing a black robe blew their case completely. It didn't make any difference what the people in California wanted. It's what the government wanted. And one judge, you want to you say we're a democracy? One judge, one clown in a black gown told the entire state of California, nope, you can't have what you want. You have what we tell you you can have. And don't forget the Supreme Court is the very same one that refused to visit a fraudulent election. What what happened with, did the Branch Divinians appeal that order at all? I'm curious. Appeal it to what? Well, a jury, it's pretty well established in law that the jury has the final say, so I'm curious. Established in whose happened. law? In our laws, I mean, that's... I have a suggestion. <laughs> Jump in there, Samuel. I, uh, I see all this, um, and I think that uh, if we could reestablish law, biblical prior to the kings where god is it i think that's where we should go how you get there pretty tough but maybe we could get enough people to do that yeah, especially well, given Samuel, the state of uh, faith in this country now i think yeah. that's a very good statement samuel but mm -hmm. could you please cite for me where god is mentioned in the constitution <laughs> yeah. no, that, hamilton forgot <laughs> Well, it, the, the whole point—the whole point you, of all of this—is to get rid of God. That's can where you we're tell going. me where God was mentioned in the Articles of Confederation? I don't know the Articles of Confederation. I think I read them once. That's it. Article uh, Article Thirteen: The Ruler of the Universe. Great. 
No, and when I, mean, I did, when I did my affidavit, I, I I I said I'm 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 citing this in front of all you men and my heavenly Father. I I think we need to get God in all our documents, everything we do. Well, the Federalists decided they didn't want God in theirs, and Alexander Hamilton said, "Oh, we just forgot." <clears throat> now, yeah. where in the world could you get? 59, 55, ended up with 39 godly men who forgot God. Absolutely. Shoot, David, barely out of the water. Not men of God. See, that, that was the thing when, of all people, Benjamin Franklin proposed prayer. Of all people, the guy in the Hellfire Club. Yeah proposes that they start he said we're, we're having so many arguments so much contention so much so he said i think we need to start every day with prayer alexander hamilton uh, uh poses his motion his motion passed i mean it got a second didn't pass got a second and then alexander hamilton opposed the motion and said we do not need to turn these proceedings over to a foreign power And Benjamin Franklin, in his own biography, which I have a copy of, he said that of all of the delegates there, somewhere between three or four thought prayers were necessary. But this thing was inspired by God, by people who didn't believe in him. Okay, all right. Well, if if they could make the argument that the king was such a great deal and, and with the parliament, then why not somebody greater than the king? God. Absolutely. <laughs> that <a> good argument. <laughs> Absolutely, Samuel. Absolutely. Well said. But did they do it? Here's the point. We have to deal with reality. They, Article 6, Clause 3, took God out of the Constitution. Because they wanted to make damn sure they didn't have to deal with anybody in government who had taken an oath to the Christian faith. What does that tell you? They, they were paving the way for our enslavement, ultimately. Exactly. And then to jump to the North Carolina Ratification Convention, 1788... To jump to that ratification convention and Henry Abbott stands up and says, well, if we allow Article 6, Clause 3 to stand in this Constitution, there will come a day in this country when our government is full of non-believers, infidels, and Muslims. Here we are. How did that man that, you know, I, you can't find anybody who, uh, well, one or two who can tell you they've ever heard of Henry Abbott. How many people, how, how did that man know that? How did he know that 230 some years ago, that if you uh, didn't keep an oath to the Christian faith in your constitution? I, I bet he was a uh, daily Bible reader. Oh, I think you will find that to be more than true. Well, it's not like uh, other countries throughout the history haven't been taken over by various religious factions. So if you study history. Well, that would be true, Cody, but I can't find any fault with a country that was taken over by Christians. 
Yeah. Well, it's just like uh, if you listen to Bill Warner, Ph.D., he's got the uh, political Islam channels. And he talks about, you know, reminds people that even Turkey used to be a Christian nation. And uh, because of the warring nature of Islam, it was able to take it over. So just a matter of time is what he's thinking of most of the Western world, unless the Christians get more aggressive. Oh, yeah. Well, thinking about those uh, Muslims and uh, how they are the enemies of America, who gave the Muslim Brotherhood what turned out to be uh, what we call the Mujahideen to start with, and then became Al-Qaeda, then became the Taliban? Who gave them $500 million seed money in 1978? I don't think it's a a coincidence either that the two cities we supposedly bombed with nuclear weapons, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, happened to be the two most Christian cities in that country. Yeah, imagine that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and did people also know that within those two towns were the were the places where the majority of American POWs were being held? Didn't know that. You're not going to find it in your history book because your history books were written by Marxists. Many of them proud Marxists. I didn't know Japan allowed Christians back in the 50s. I figured they were against that. Well, Cody, who allowed Christians in Iraq? Who allowed it? Oh, Saddam. Yeah, he allowed Yes, the Armenians. The the Armenians were especially a large group of Christians and, and under Saddam, they were allowed to practice their faith. So what did we do to Saddam? Is this the Jews behind it, Michael, or some other sinister force? The well, the thing, that, the thing that I have said over and over and over again, Cody, is that what is behind it is evil. There are lots of evil people on this planet of many denominations. Cody, read, evil Co- Cody, read that... Uh, Genesis 6 conspiracy book and you get a real good idea what's going on. Okay. Well, I tell you, there is so much and I'm preparing uh, for a program tomorrow evening. I'll be on with uh, Giuseppe Vaffanculo and we are going uh, probably make a lot of people angry and we're going to get a lot of people upset at us. But we are uh, going to bring about the connections of organized crime and the Jewish banking cartel into the Trump administration. And how they wielded a lot of control in the Trump administration. Like I said, we're going to make a lot of people angry, but uh, guess where it came through? Son-in-law Kushner. Why is that not surprising? Imagine that, Mr. 666 Park Avenue. Yes, exactly. The 666 building. And I think there is considerable evidence out there that we have put together will show that the retaliatory strikes against Syria were directed by Mr. Kushner and his wife and not the president. 
Michael. Um, sure. Have, have Have you ever read the uh, book by uh, Gary Wayne, The Genesis Six Conspiracy? I have not completed it, sir. I have read parts of it. What is your opinion? I think it's valid. What's yours? <laughs> it, it, it looks like a blueprint to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you couldn't draw it up much better, and I, I do want to complete it, and I hesitate to comment on things I haven't completely finished. But, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but I tell you what, with uh, – with my present schedule and the fact that uh, with wonderful people like Brad Peoples and Robert Hudson and my good friend D.W. and Dave Scorpio and other people, my friends in Arkansas who call me uh, at least, uh, you know, three, four times a week, uh, my wife pointed out to me that I probably spend 25 to 30 hours a week on the phone. For for people well, who want to get a rough idea what that book is about, they can go to the website, and the first video that's featured there is the author speaking about the book, and it's about an hour and 36 minutes long. It gives you a real good uh, idea of whether you might want to read this book and get into more detail. I agree. <clears throat> if I, agree. I may. Brad, where did you? Oh, is that oh, Robert? That would be me since you yeah, mentioned my name. <laughs> now, I need to back up about 30 minutes or so. What was that you were saying about uh, Skousen and New World Order? Joel Skousen? Well, I think, uh, you know, you can tell a tiger by his stripes. What stripes are you seeing? I see him as a pretty good guy because he's always talking about uh, the bad guys. He, he written, he's written a book about good places to bug out to. Ah, dang it. Well, I can't say those are wrong. I, I can't say those parts are wrong. But I, I haven't found anything in the Skousen family that I would uh, embrace with liberty. Well, didn't his daddy write the um, Naked Communist? Oh, yes. Of course he did. Oh, okay, now you say there was a little sarcasm, so what, what's your problem with that? Uh, we probably need to talk on the phone, Robert. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> it's part of that five to six hours a day. No, no, well, yeah, yeah. You're killing me, dog. You're killing me. <laughs> well, Robert, uh, when I when I made mention of how many hours I spend a week on the phone, I don't regret a minute of them. Uh, I love my conversations with you and uh, with DW and with so many other uh, people who truly love liberty in this country and my good friend Brad. And Brad, have you fallen off the edge of the cliff here, buddy? I'm still alive, man. I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking. I ain't talking, but I'm thinking. Okay. Are you staying alive? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I think. I mean, when you brought that up, Robert. I've seen that phenomenon in conversations like this before because I think people get they get frustrated when they feel hopeless. And I think there's such a thing as overdiagnosis. And and we as a group do a really good job of kind of accepting how screwed we are, but there there really isn't a good solution that we can all cling to and say, All right guys, here's what we do now. 
And that, that is a very frustrating thing for people because it just, it shines a light and exposes all of the dark history. And I trust every word you say, Mike, I really do. But in a way, with you being the source of all of that forensic history, we're kind of looking to you as, all right, well, what do we do now, man? Lead on. You've gotten us to this point. Lead on. Well, Brad, I've talked about this on many occasions, and I even wrote an article, How to Change This But You Won't. And there is a way to fix this, but the people aren't going to do it, and especially the people who aren't going to do it are the people who are looking for a way to fix the government using the government. That's never going to happen. Uh, I would I would think a good example to study, of course, is uh, we're never told the, anything about this either. But uh, in the in the Bible, it says after the Exodus, you know, uh, the head man there, he was uh, getting overwhelmed. He he wasn't sleeping because of all the complaints. I guess he had around three million people, so they created a hierarchy. Why doesn't somebody study that hierarchy and bring that forward? True, that you know. But here's the thing is that I just don't, I look at our own history and that for four generations in America prior to the 1760s, Americans did just fine without a government. They didn't need a government. And people start screaming, oh, it's anarchy, it's anarchy. Little people are going to run around with bombs. Uh, I've got a question for you. How many people has anarchy killed in the last 20 years? And how many people have government killed in the last 20 years? I, I would say a moral people don't need a government. Well, I would agree with that. And, of course, we've got that big argument between Hobbes and Locke where Hobbes said, oh, we've got to have government because we have evil people. And Locke says, yeah, we do. What happens when they control the government? <laughs> that dude was sharp. So here the point of it is, you know, let's look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Give us a king. Give us a king. And, you know, what... And then even when they were told what a king would bring them, they still wanted a king. The beginning of the end, and that's why it's in there as an example. And we surely have seen the example over the centuries of killing each other. And that's basically what the guys that drafted the Constitution wanted to do. Give us another king. Exactly. And let me ask you a question, guys. Everyone who runs out in the next election championing their candidate, are they not saying, give us a king? <laughs> give us my king. Yes. Yep. I, I, want, I want Brad to go to his next meeting and start it with a prayer. <laughs> Knowing Brad, he probably starts all his meetings with a prayer. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. That's not true. But I, I respect that. At least that a request. silent one. <laughs> do Do they shoot you down, Brad? When you try to bring in the Heavenly Father, they don't. They don't want to hear that. Is that why? 
Oh, I, I mean, I got a lecture today about how how radical I am. But a lot of, you know, a lot of my interpretation of of all of this from the Constitution to these wars to the covid crisis, the, the presidential elections, all of this is filtered through a self-obtained knowledge of prophecy. So I am out there to a lot of people. I mean, I, I get that. I'm not saying I'm right about what I believe, but I, hey, I, Brent. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I just wanted to throw something out there because you know that, uh, we, we think the world of you, but I want to tell you something. The next time somebody tells you that you're radical or you're way out there, say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because exactly. history, tell, history <laughs> yeah, tells me history tells me that people call Patrick Henry a traitor. Yeah, Jesus was definitely not considered a uh, status quo guy, was he? Nope. No, he, he wasn't walking with open arms either. <laughs> so that, that's funny. Good company. <laughs> because yep. if people who will say that about you have told you you are not part of the dumbed-down majority. Brad, that's why we love you. Amen. Aw, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see you if kicking I, the gravel in the parking lot right now. Yeah, yeah. If I had feelings, this would trigger them. Well, let's let's not go too far here. <laughs> well, it's funny, Mike. You guys did that show on nine eleven and discussed that Carpman drama triangle, where you have a a victim or set of victims, and you have an aggressor attacking that person and then you have a rescuer you can you can track that same triangle from god creating the heavens and the earth and god creating man you can track that same triangle clear to our present day and, and track it from the future back to us you know i i kind of kick this stuff around in my mind a lot and i think how do you really appreciate a society free of evil and free of oppression unless you experience that you know in a way the existence of man and the evil that just naturally occurs with his free will that that's that's god's psyop you know it's it's creating opposition it's just that god is the only one that has ever done it for our own good but without that contrast, without that opposition, without us being victim of what we're currently very likely going to be victim of, how do we appreciate our rescuer? How am I even a victim without the presence of an aggressor? How do I appreciate a savior without something to be rescued from? You know, this, this whole drama triangle shifts as time goes on. And I think right now we're in a, we're in a very peculiar one where... Our country is so friggin' divided that we're fighting over what category we're in. We're fighting with the vaccinated over them being the aggressor. We're fighting with the liberals and the Democrats and the snowflakes over them being the aggressor and us being the victim. Well, they make the same argument. They make the argument that the unvaccinated, they're the problem, they're the aggressor. So you've got this really, really strange dynamic in this drama triangle 
where not only does somebody get to come back as our rescuer, they get to settle the drama over who belongs in what category. And not only do they get to save you from danger, they get to tell you you were right all along. And that scares the hell out of me. Because people are going to have to be very careful right now over what stance they take. Because now all of a sudden if somebody comes back, and I still say Trump is the perfect person to orchestrate this on America. If Trump comes back and he says, you anti-vaxxers, you anti-democrats, you have been right all along. I'm here to settle the argument and I'm here to rescue you from the evil that you've been fighting about. Well, what if you agree with him for five minutes on that, but in six months he's doing some things you don't agree with? Most people, I don't think, have the courage to turn their back on that. That's why I say even whoever comes up next, no matter how good they are, now is the time where you say, I'm going to govern myself. Because even if what comes next appears to be good, I have no reason to trust it whatsoever. But that Carpman drama triangle is a really, really fascinating thing. And I can see it playing out right now. And America has upper lip and lower lip hooked with treble hooks. I, I don't know how we wean ourselves off of this, this idea that government is good. Or that we just happen to have a bad government. And the next one is going to solve our problems. We're in a heck of a pinch there. I mean, does anybody else see what I'm talking about where, where we're actually fighting over who belongs in what category? I'm not even sure if I'm the aggressor or the victim. Well, Brad, along those lines, I've got a question for you. Are you set? Okay. All right. Let's say that the organized crime in America most usually attributed to the international banking cartel. But let's say that the organized crime element in America that controls prostitution, uh, drugs, all of the things that they do, what if they announced that they are taking nominations for a new leader? And what if you got to vote for their new leader? Would the organized crime unit I mean, would the organized crime cartel stop doing prostitution, stop doing drugs, stop doing all of the things that they do that are illegal, killing people? Would they stop doing that because you were allowed to elect their leader? No, it's the same cancer. It's just got a new title. Well, that's my point. If you think for a minute... And here's one of the things I wrote. Uh, very, you know, voting is the unique ability to choose the leaders of the criminal enterprise, which steals your money, indoctrinates and poisons your children, and controls every facet of your life. Hooray. Well, the problem, too, though, Mike, is not voting makes an equally insignificant difference toward the objective of good. We, we, we act like if we don't vote that suddenly things are better or that we're not culpable. And, and I don't assume that that matters. Well, yeah. let, me ask, let me ask you a question along those lines, Brad. When was the last time you ever heard anyone who won an election complain about voter turnout? Yeah, I, I see where you're going. Go on. 
Well, the fact this is what they like to hang you with. Oh, you didn't vote, so you don't have a voice. That's bullcrap. The exact opposite is true. You voted to continue the machine. You voted to continue the criminal enterprise. And you're telling me I can't complain? You brought it down on me. I didn't bring it down on you. Well, you no, Go ahead. Well, knowing what we know now, 95% America could sit out and they'd still report 70% voter turnout. Well, but that's because we believe them. That's part of it. Government. See, this is a, a conversation that I've had with so many people. Let's take what William Colby said, director of the CIA. William Colby said, we own the CIA owns everyone of any importance in the in the major media. He said that at a senatorial hearing, the CIA owns everyone of any anyone of any significance in the major media. Then we have another CIA director who says we will know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. They tell you what they're doing and you still don't believe them. But wait till they tell you a lie about a pandemic. Wait till they tell you a lie about a war. Wait till they tell you a lie about anything and you suck it up like it like a kitten goes after milk. When they tell you the truth, you don't want to hear it. And when they lie to you, you love it. That is a dysfunctional society from the get-go. And you can't expect anything good out of such a society. It's not there. Well, then should we talk about soccer? I'm sorry, gentlemen. Who said what? Robert, what did you say? Tucker Carlson. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you, Brad. Go ahead. No, I was just being a butthole. I said, well, should we talk about soccer? <laughs> oh, you, you mean communist football? It's just <laughs> downheartening. It's disheartening to think that we can, we can place ourselves here and we can know why we're so screwed, but, but not do much about it. I mean, the biggest benefit that I get from these types of conversations is knowing how to protect myself from what might happen next. If well, you guys, say politics is dirty, sports is even worse. <laughs> let, let, let's make another analogy, guys. I'm, I'm being very careless, and I drop my pistol, and it goes off and shoots me in the shoulder. So I believe the remedy for that pain is to pick my gun up and shoot myself in the head. No, the other shoulder. That's the mentality of that's the mentality of America today, and they have been led down this road by psyop after psyop after psyop. Actually, you go shoot the gun manufacturer. Yeah, well, that that you know we tried to do that as well. Uh, Goebbels would be just absolutely. I, I am sure he is standing up and cheering in hell for what this government has been able to accomplish with these people. To get people to believe any damn thing they say when they tell you up front, we're lying to you. Is he the one that still believe it? I'm sorry, go ahead. Just real quick, is he the one that said if you want to get people to do what you want them to do, all you have to do is scare them? Was that Goebbels? 
Well, something in something along those lines. That's exactly what Goebbels said. But I'll tell you what: if you've got Facebook, don't put any quote up for Goebbels, or you will be uh, banned. You can't tell Boobus what's going on. The Even fact that the anyone, the fact that anyone in the media, in the social media, wants to block the truth, ought to be yeah. everything you need to know. Yeah. 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 Well, the other day I put up a quote by Hitler. Well, I got a 30 day suspension. The thing that was crazy about that was the quote that I put up by Hitler was one of the things that Facebook said. Here's something you said two years ago. Do you want to do you want to share it again? So I shared it again. Then I got banned. So I brought it up to the to uh, Facebook. Hey, look. You hand me something to share and then penalize me for sharing it. So they cut my restrictions down to 24 hours. So the next day, I posted the same quote. But instead of Adolf Hitler, I put Joe Biden. Mm. And the quote was good. They let it ride. Speaking so of Joe that, Biden. Yeah. Do we have to? <laughs> well. It's kind of pertinent in a way. Uh, And I heard this on your show, Jim, uh, a couple days ago. You played it. Biden last week said that he won't uh, uh, institute a a, uh, vaccine vaccine mandate, which is just about laughable. But uh, in the same telecast, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson played an audio, and I don't know when this was, probably two or three months ago, I would say, maybe longer, where Biden himself said, I don't have authority to institute a a vaccine mandate. I can't do that. I have no authority. Well, I don't know what authority he got in 91 days that he said he didn't have 91 days ago. What changed? (laughs) Because something did. He just decided they didn't care. (laughs) Well, Robert, let me point something else out to you. And this has just been made me just cackle like an old hen on several occasions. Now, here we've got Donald Trump who institutes Operation Warp Speed, which gives the vaccine manufacturers the right to skip all of the elaborate testing that should be done. And they did. And they did. So he does Operation Warp Speed. Which says, okay, guys, go ahead. We, we'll all we'll make guinea pigs out of everybody in the world for your vaccine. So he does that. And then later he says, I'm the father of the vaccine. And now, now all of the people on the right are calling it Biden's vaccine. What? Yeah, that, that, that is laughable. You're right. I agree. I would agree. <clears throat> There's a uh, one guy who said that you can you can trace again going to this Genesis six conspiracy and bloodlines. Every president in the United States, you can trace them back to the King and Queen of England. Might be a little bit of truth to that. Well, I know that uh, it's a pretty established fact in uh, among the people in Arkansas that uh, Bill Clinton was in fact a Rockefeller. I think he's almost admitted that publicly actually.
And, you know, for some reason, you know, they keep things in the family, guys. I, I like that Gog and Magog in London. Oh, yes. And for a for for a country that calls itself Christian and runs itself like Satan, you gotta sort of scratch your head. The consent, the consent of the governed. <laughs> that is a huge joke. I love that phrase. Can I borrow that? All yours. <laughs> I like that. I can see where I can use that already. A government that claims to be Christian that has a government that's run by Satan. That's pretty good. You know, um, what's the young guy there, Sam, on oh, the for America First? Uh, Fuentes, Nick Fuentes, said one day on his program, he said, the rest of the world knows that we're the great Satan. It's just Americans that uh, haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> that was accurate. So, Michael, I must admit, uh, when you threw out the name Cato, I, I, I have to show my ignorance by saying I had to go and look him up. I've heard the name before, I just had no clue who he was, so I now know who uh, Cato was. Okay, well, I'm glad I was able to illuminate your path today, Mr. Hudson. Uh, as you've done on multiple occasions. Well, hey, I wouldn't be advertising that, you might lose your job. <laughs> As I said, you should be the dean of history at somewhere like, uh, what, Georgia Tech, maybe? You're close. Or uh, Georgia State. Oh, well, there's not much chance of that. I wouldn't hold my breath, Robert. I wouldn't either. Absolutely not. Uh, I'm pretty sure we could get Brad to do something, though. Brad, are you? have you fallen asleep again, brother? No, sir. I'm still here. Okay. Well, uh, you guys, uh, any questions on the articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union? Now, you said even the articles didn't mention God either? No, I didn't say that, Robert. Article 13. Oh, okay. Okay. The I thought ruler you said of the universe. Ruler. Oh, okay. So they meant the Heavenly Father when they said that. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So what, what kind of gearing up do you all do? I, I mean, assuming that the only solution to all of this is actually somewhat impossible. You know, what do you guys do on a personal level to be as ready as you can and, and try to sustain life without as a little assistance as possible? What do you guys do? You start 20 Don't everybody years ago. Answer at once. <laughs> start 20 some years ago. Start accumulating everything and anything that might be essential to life or something that you can barter with down the road to obtain other things that you might need. Uh, learn as much as you can about uh, self sustaining uh, gardening and, uh, you know, medical treatments and things that you can do on your own how to build a, a coffin how to bury some prepare someone for burial you name it the list is all is as length as the day and long as the day is long 
But yeah, you got to do all kinds of stuff. Get a copy of the Foxfire books. <laughs> Those are great. Yep, I've got them all. And uh, there are so many other good books out there. Um, things about, you know, specialized things, how to, you know, military manuals are good things to have on hand. You know, the LERP and, uh, and uh, SEER manuals and things like that. Survival, escape, evasion, resistance, uh, all those kind of things that have, uh, you know, edible plants, um, anything and everything, how to butcher a hog, you know, you name it, how to butcher an, uh, a, a UN troop. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh, yeah. Hello, this is Paget. Hey, Paget, welcome. <laughs> Um, yes, to everything that was just said, I do two things. I, I get prepared on that level. I have a hazmat suit to take away dead bodies, etc. But on a daily basis, I do something completely different. And I almost hesitate to say it because I don't know how it will be received. But I do do something. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, well, uh, I'm more on a on a interdimensional level with how I approach life. Uh, because I am a ghostbuster and what have you, but um, I do things like what I call the violet cubes of light, which is seeing a, a strong violet that comes down. Like say we're talking about a cell tower and the attack coming from a cell tower. I see the lines coming down through it, cutting through it and then cutting through it like, uh, like you're making a cube so that you're going through it on the three directions and north and south, east, west, and then up and down, you know, so that you're getting the volume of the of the cell tower. And I see those violet cubes of light transmuting what it, the what's their intended danger. But when it comes out the other end, it's raining blessing, blessings on all life streams. And I've done that when I am with a trans, um, well, I call them transmitters, you know, the those who have had the bottom clot shot. Um, I see the, the violet cubes of light between me and them so that whatever's coming from them transmutes. And when it gets to me, it's blessings and strength and life and love. I also do, and I did stop a cell tower doing that. And I also stopped a cell tower from being built because I did that on people. But I did um, Pinky Rose, which is where I see the Pinky Rose, which is representing source and love inside me. And I see it like a pinhead and I see it connecting with um, whoever. It could be an attacker who we know, or it could be someone like Biden or somebody, you know, and I am just stating that my experience of you is going to be from love. It's going to be from source. And I hold that space and it works until I forget to do it. And, um, and and I can see when I have forgotten to do it because then I'm back with a certain person and I'm in the karma that I'm in with them and, and whatever stuff we're both bringing to our experience. But as soon as I put it back to focusing on the source that's in them, everything else goes away. And I really have that experience from them. And it's very, very powerful. So those are two things that I do. But another thing I do because I have been frequency attacked in my home before and I wanted that to stop. So I wrote these um, certain protection things. Um, I put them on the front of my door, the back of my door. I put them on high places in my houses so that if someone's coming from a spaceship above and they're looking through or they're coming through my house, they can read it and know that I'm putting you on, on notice and you cannot come in here and do this stuff. You cannot attack me or I will hold you accountable at another kind of courtroom. You know, um, it's not, it's like a, 
a non-physical universal kind of court. And that has worked. People, or they're not really people, but whatever it is that was attacking me, they stopped when I did that. So those are like three things that I do. Cool. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Anyone else got any input on that? What you do? Get ready. The one thing you don't do is just sit and listen to radio. <laughs> there can be a lot of good stuff, a lot of good information put out there, but if you don't take action on what you've learned, it's a waste. So hopefully that's not happening here. You know, I stockpile nutrients. Sooner or later, I might not be able to take uh, delivery of my products, and I want to make sure that I have enough to last as long as possible. Uh, same thing for other things, too. Storable foods, um, guns, ammunition, precious metals, gold, silver, blue steel, lead, brass, <laughs> those kind of things. Come on. Somebody else out there has got to be doing something. I, I believe in, 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 in blocking these techniques. Boy. Is that better? Samuel, okay. you had a lot of bad background noise for a second there, but uh, things are cleared up. Go ahead. I turned it on and off and it went away. Um, I believe in blocking these uh, these technologies as well. Um, I do, I've studied a lot of this stuff in the past and uh, the people who really know frequencies, like if you look at Raymond Royal Rife, uh, he, he was able to kill anything with a frequency. So the, the validity of it, I think mm -hmm. he proved for sure. Yep. Of course, there's Tesla, etc. And a lot of people talking about the uh, virus being promoted with the uh, cell tower frequencies. There's a, there's a company called uh, IPC, uh, Protect Pro Technology. And they make harmonizers to pretty much do what Patch is saying. They, they take this frequency, that's bad news, and they harmonize it with your body. And you can put these on the back of your cell phones. You can get larger ones to protect spaces and stuff like that. But, you know, um, a lot of it it, it, it sounds strange, but I think it all has a lot of uh, validity because uh, everything vibrates at a certain frequency. And they obviously, uh, according to also the, the guy in this company, one of the videos that I, he said that they, they could have picked any frequency to transmit this stuff. They just happened to pick, he says, it must be a coincidence, the one that's the, the worst for the body. <laughs> oh, I doubt it was a coincidence. I'm sure they planned it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's that, and, and, and the rest of my world is uh, I'm off grid. Uh, sun makes my hot water. Um, I've got a digestive above ground septic system. The worms do all the solids, and the nitrogen is stripped out by the plants. The effluent that comes out of that is better than a septic tank. Septic tank is in the dark. It does everything in the dark. It doesn't get sunlight. It uh, mm. it's a mess, um, and that's what create algae plumes down in your rivers and streams and lakes because all that nitrogen is getting downstream. Um, just uh, solar, um, of course, different ways to grow food. Experiment. I experiment with those things as well, but. Uh, 
and in the overlap on my hot water and i use hot water for heating and stuff but i've got a like a 200 foot copper coil on my wood stove which circulates the hot water into the hot water heater and then the hot water heater and then there's the solar panel that also does it so there's overlap on the seasons mm. between hot water solar or both and uh i can drive um air over um like heat pump um grills mm -hmm. for warm air forced warm air you know um in the ac i ripped apart swamp coolers and rebuilt them and made them about eight times more efficient and that's how i cool air um just uh, all, all those kinds of things but you like you said you know jim i uh <laughs> i started 20 years ago yeah it's a lot better for folks that did you know, the people that are starting now, they're way behind the curve and they feel like they're overwhelmed with everything they got to try and deal with. And the biggest thing is have a good relationship with your creator and realize Amen. that he's in control. And when yeah. that happens, the the weight on your shoulders just vanishes. At least it did for me. Yep. Anybody else? Shoot. Would that answer your question, Brad? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's good. Glad to help. And don't forget, stock up on uh, flour and pizza sauce and cheese. <laughs> and pepperoni. And pepperoni. Oh, yeah, pepperoni and sausage. Oh, goodness. I'm going to have to try that pepper. That sausage looked good. I'm going to have to try that next time I'm out there. <laughs> oh, boy. Was that a non-gluten crust? Uh, <laughs> I fall off the wagon every once in a while. Okay, Jim. No, it had gluten. <laughs> lots and lots of gluten. <laughs> it felt so good. <laughs> Tasted good, too. Yeah, it was yummy. Anyway, uh, good heavens. Let's see. We got about a half an hour yet, so, so, uh, you know, I've, I'll, I'm flat out straightforward here. I have virtually no knowledge. I have I have yet to have a chance to really read the Articles of Confederation. And other than the fact that there's no president, no courts, and basically Congress is very limited, um, you know, three out of six years kind of thing. Mike, what, what other things are there in the uh, Articles of Confederation that were so much better than what we've got now with the Constitution? Well, Jim, it's hard to uh, come up with anything better than what you just mentioned. Number one, no executive. There was a president of Congress. There was not a president of the states. Okay. But there was a president of Congress, and that was fine. That was no problem because the, you cannot rule. You cannot, if you want, to, if you want a government— you cannot let someone 3,000 or 4,000 miles away make decisions for people they don't know, have never met, and might not have ever been where they live. Mm -hmm. And don't this really understand the, their condition. Yeah, you don't understand what they're going through. And to come up with universal rules for everybody, which is the very essence of a central government, is that the central government is that no matter what I say, sitting in Washington, 
you out there in West Los Louisiana and you other guys in Podunk, Nevada, you have to do what I say. I don't know you. I've never met you. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care about your family. I, I really don't care about anything, but you're going to do what I tell you to do. And we need to quit calling members of Congress lawmakers because they are not lawmakers. They should never be given that right. Lawbreakers to, more than anything. Yes. How can you do something valid and honest by being not honest? You know, let, who would want a government run and created by criminals? And the people who created the Constitution of the United States were doing well, they were highly involved in a criminal conspiracy. They were violating the laws of the day, which was the Articles of Confederation. And today, if a group of rich people, we've talked about this before, Jim, but if a group of rich people and a whole bunch of lawyers got together and said, look, we don't like what you've got. We don't like your form of government, so we're going to make one and you're going to like it. The very essence of this is lost on me that people will defend this Constitution. And, and you know, where does it come from? And the only thing I can think of is what Samuel Bryan said when they wrap it in the cloak of divinity. Yep. There, Michael, I. Sir, go ahead. I, I have a question. I, uh, and this is a document I read once too, and that's the uh, the Confederate Constitution. It, it, can you comment on that? Was that on the right path? No, because the Confederate Constitution was uh, a basically a copy of the U.S. Constitution with a few minor changes. They had a president for one six-year term, which I think is even worse. But they had one term for six years and they lowered the tariff. So they lowered the taxes. But I wrote an article. Well, gosh, uh, 16 years ago now, I wrote an article called All Government is Evil. So, folks, this is not something new for me. But what I did was I attacked the government of the Confederacy. To make my point. And, you're, and I'm a Southerner. I'm a pl proud Southerner. Appalachian redneck hillbilly. And I'm very proud of my heritage. I have at least 27 people that I can tell you point to today with documentation who served in the Confederate Army. I'm proud of them. But the Confederate government was just another corrupt enterprise in Butternut. Some of the crimes they committed were absolutely unreal. And I documented some of the crimes that the Confederate government committed, especially in North Carolina. One especially. And this was uh, people, uh, people who didn't support the Confederacy in western North Carolina. They, they were told, you can't have salt by the Confederate government. If you're not supporting us, we're not going to let you have salt. Well, salt was everything back then. You had to preserve your meat. Everything, you needed salt for almost everything. 
So a group of men in Madison County, North Carolina, broke into the warehouse and stole themselves some salt. And the, they sent in a Confederate government contingent to deal with the crime. And the commander, it was in January, and the commander, some of the things they did were just absolutely unreal. They went into the community down into what is now known as Shelton Laurel and the Confederate government under a colonel in their military went down into the area and they would go to homes. And in one instance, it's well documented. They went in and a lady had an infant. And we're talking about January. And allegedly her husband had been involved in the theft of assault. So they go in, grab the baby, take it outside, lay it in the snow, hold her at the door and say, hey, when you tell us where your husband is, we'll get your baby out of the snow. Does that sound like the kind of government you want? I don't. Evil. And they had, uh, you know, even in the Confederacy, if you were in the wealthy and the well-born, you could pay your way out of military service. All you had to do was give somebody locally two to three hundred bucks at that time, which was a large sum of money, and most people didn't have it. You could pay them two to three hundred bucks, and you could you could be in the home guard. You got to stay home. You were still in the army, but you got to stay home. So you were part of the home guard. Your job was to run around and gather up uh, deserters, people who had left the Confederate Army for one reason or another. Your job was to go out and round them up. But this group of Confederate soldiers took a group of people, they couldn't prove, no trial, no nothing, took them out into Shelton Laurel and executed them. They were supposed, the, the commander was supposed to take these people to Knoxville, Tennessee to be put, tried and put in prison. And on the way, he got tired of being cold and everything else. So he just lined these uh, prisoners that he had, none of whom had had a trial. One of them was 13 years old and he lined them up out in the field and shot them all. There's a monument in the mountains to those people to today. And I've been to that monument. Is that the kind of government I want? Well, I know I probably jumped way overboard from what you wanted to know about the Confederate Constitution, but the Confederate Constitution put no limits on government because it was modeled after the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, I, when I remember reading it, 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 it did, didn't seem like it was much of a change from what I saw. Yeah. The biggest thing that they changed was the tariff rate, and that just destroyed the North. Their shipping points, they dropped their tariff rate from 40%, which was under the moral tariff, down to 6 to 8% to come into Charleston, uh, Jacksonville, Savannah, to come into the southern ports. So if you're a shipper and you're bringing goods to the United States, are you going to go to Boston and pay 40%? Or are you going to bring them to Charleston and pay 6 Easy question to answer. That's what the war was yep. about. The war was that's what yep. it didn't have. It didn't have anything to do about slavery. Now, slavery was money. Right. So if it, if it was money, yes, it did. But, you know, if if Lincoln wanted to do away with slavery, why didn't he upon taking office on March the 4th? Why didn't he outlaw slavery that day? 
he was president. Why didn't he issue an executive order? No. He waited something until 1860, January the 1st, 1863. So he waits almost two years before he decides that slavery is an issue. And then he only frees the slaves in the South that he has no control over. He keeps the ones up north. Yeah, he didn't mention those. Plus, he didn't mention the ones that were under the control of the Union Army and being used as slaves by them. It's perverted history. It is. It is. Mike, in a perfect world, what do you think the Congress should be doing? Uh, We always hear, and I'd say it myself, if somebody asks what's the Congress' job, is to pass laws, which is clearly ignorant. But in a perfect world, what ought they be doing? The perfect world, in my opinion, if and I think it would be tolerated, is I think each session of Congress should spend the majority of their two-year term in the House and the majority of their six-year term in the Senate going through all pre-existing laws, have them examined for how many are unconstitutional. They should be spending their time getting rid of laws, not making more. Amen. I heard yeah. one guy's idea that I liked, and he says we, we get back to representation of 30,000 per the uh, Congress. They never go to Washington. They get stuck in the community of that 30,000, and they computer, com- communicate with computer, etc., to be in touch. But that way they're controlled by that community. If I had to have them, I would, I would be 100% for that, because how... In today's world, if you do do the math, one member of the House of Representatives represents 774,000 people. Now, how in the dickens can anyone believe that can be done? Because most people have problems. Brad, you could speak to this. How many problems do you have representing the people of your small county? Oh, yeah, there's three commissioners in a county of 14,000, and, you know, there's divisions even within that group of people. Could you pretend for a moment to say you represent everyone that lives in your county? Not without lying. Well, imagine 774,000 people. Imagine trying to represent their interest when, A, you probably only talk to those who have money. And B, if you if people try to contact your office, they get to talk to an aide. No one gets to talk to you unless they have money. People try to make an appointment with your congressman in, in D.C. Just call them up and say, I'd like to have an appointment so I can come in and talk with you about what's going on. See what they tell you. Yeah, if, if that guy, same, same guy is living in your community and he never gets to go to the swamp, which is, that whole place was built to intimidate, um, and, and the influence that can be personal there, um, it would be a lot more difficult, I think, for them to uh, control the outcomes like they have in their hand right now. I agree with that, and one of the things I remember is I had a high school classmate, God rest his soul who became a congressman from my district, that's where I was born and reared. Uh, He 
represented that district in Congress for two terms back in the 80s, late 70s and early 80s. And I couldn't believe Bill ran for Congress to start with. It just didn't didn't seem like. But anyway, he won. And probably the reason he won is because the member of Congress before him had been in office for 32 years. I think the people finally had enough. So, and that was one thing that the Articles of Confederation would have presented, would have prevented was career members of the government. And so he once told me, he and I, I'll never forget, we were standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And we were talking one evening. And he just, he kind of held up his hands and he looked around and he said, I got to tell you something. He said, being here as a member of Congress is so addicting, you wouldn't believe it. He said, going to the airport to fly home and being addressed reverently as Mr. Congressman. He said, going home and people just just fall all over you. He said, people that wouldn't speak to me when I wasn't in Congress are now just falling all over me when I walk into town or something. He said, that is not healthy for the for the country. I can't imagine being that shallow. Uh, Brad, but, but, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it, man. I tell you what, in Colorado, we had a member of Congress from our hometown in uh, Cortez, Colorado, and he got defeated last election, thank God. But I'll tell you what, he would walk into a public meeting and women would rush to him. Can I get you something to eat, Congressman? Can I get this for you? Can I find that for you? I thought people were going to actually shine his shoes. <laughs> Michael, I, I remember the first, I lived in Newport News uh, for a little while, and uh, I went up to D.C. and I looked around, and I, when I was in front of the uh, the Lincoln uh, Memorial, I looked at that thing, and I said, yep, it's true, the bigger the crook, the bigger the statue. <laughs> well, that's exactly true, and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, if I had to choose among them, I would choose of the ones that we know about. I would choose Jefferson. But you notice where they put Jefferson's memorial? Yeah, he's tucked off on the side, you know, away from all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, which reminds me, does anyone know where Luther Martin's buried? Ooh. They don't know. It's under an old parking lot, I think, right? I was about to yeah. say under yeah, under, covered under motor, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. He, he was buried in a... Uh, cemetery in New York and in an unmarked grave and it was paved over for a parking lot. Now people, if you want a hero to go with your Patrick Henry and, you know, let's be honest, uh, towards the end of his life, Patrick Henry got involved in some land deals that really trouble me. I respect him for everything he did, but he was a human. But he got involved in some land deals, especially that Yazoo land deal down in Georgia that just that really troubled me. And I wonder if at some point he didn't succumb to that uh, wealthy and well-born disease. But, you know, I also looked uh, the other day, just as a matter of fact, I've really been doing searching into this land issue, who owned what in the land and, and the other stuff. You guys know that when Washington died, 
1799, he owned over 4 million acres of land. Wow. I had no clue. It's just another part of the history we don't know. But, yeah, that's, uh, you know, you look at these, uh, the things that have happened. But, you know, you look at Luther Martin. Luther Martin never gave up the battle. And he died a pauper. You know, if it hadn't have been for Aaron Burr, he probably would have been in the poorhouse or in debtor's prison. But after Michael, his stroke, go ahead. Is it true that Washington was self-taught by 13 to survey and he was selected as the surveyor for Virginia? Yeah, that was an appointment that came under the king. Really? Yes. Hmm. I can see I where you, if you're a surveyor that early in your life and as much trouncing around he did in the country that uh, he gained a lot of title. Oh, he did that. He did quite a bit. Uh, he was much more a member of the aristocracy. And people, you know, I, I read somewhere the other day where somebody said was, and they were talking very proudly about George Washington. And they said he served as commander in chief of the army and he took no salary. Bull crap. He didn't take money, but he took land as payment. And stop and think about the founding era of this country uh, during that era. If you had if you had money and you wanted to invest, there was only one thing you could invest in. Dirt. They didn't have a stock market. There were no manufacturing companies of any significance that you could put your money into. Yeah, you could invest in shipping. But the majority of people invested in land. Land speculation back then was absolutely huge. Even de Tocqueville spoke of that in his uh, uh, book on after he came to America. It was the land speculators. And it... Uh, and almost everyone was involved in it. Jefferson was involved in it. But Patrick Henry, the one that bothered me was the Yazoo land deal, of which uh, we had the uh, deal with, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the, the Supreme Court case. Someone will help me out here in a second. But what happened with the Yazoo land deal is the people, the land speculators, got together enough money went to the legislatures, legislators in the state of Georgia and bribed them all to give up to their land company what is now Alabama and Mississippi. The entire land area in one land deal. Now, how many million acres is that? And they bribed... But you kind of broke up there. Say again? You kind of broke up there. Are you saying all of Georgia is what he owned? I, I missed I missed that part the last 15 or no, 20 seconds. The, the Yazoo land deal was they got the Georgia legislators. They bribed them to allow the land speculators to buy what is now Alabama and Mississippi. Mike Getty. Got yes. Fletcher versus Peck. Thank you. Thank you. So Fletcher versus Peck comes through and John Marshall says, and Marshall was involved in this deal. 
Marshall was a land speculator. He was involved in the deal and he was sitting on the Supreme Court. Chief Did he Justice. Get a piece of cheese? Oh, yes. Although okay. later now he said it wasn't him, it was his brother. <laughs> Jim Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Or Marshall Dillon. I'm not sure which one it was. But anyway. <laughs> but, uh, I, 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 I wonder if the Founding Fathers would have been in, in favor of a 50-year jubilee. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyway, Marshall rules in Fletcher v. Peck that even though the legislators were bribed, the deal stands. Does that mean if I rob a bank and they catch me, I get to keep the money? Should work if you can get it. So, yes, the deal stands. And it, it bothers me that Patrick Henry was, uh, was an investor in that. It I don't know that Patrick Henry bribed anybody. I can't say that. But he was an investor in a company that did. Wow. And I, can you imagine owning Alabama and Mississippi? Hmm. I mean, what a deal. Yeah. But it shows you that even back then, legislators could be bought. Even on the state level. But as was brought out earlier, how convenient on the state level that that guy who was bribed might live in your community. Still didn't stop them, evidently, though. Nope. Uh, Jim, I know we're down to a few minutes, so I'm going to let you take it from here, sir. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, we're running out of time. I wanted to make sure people knew that uh, Mike has a couple of websites. To get. Well, he has the, the one website, uh, rebelmanman.com, and then on uh, Telegram, he has rebelmanman, or just rebelmanman, and, uh, un, and constitutional fraud. So I encourage you to check those things out. And while you're there, check out my Telegram channel, Your DIY Health. And uh, Mike has a couple of radio shows he does on a regular basis. Uh, so, Mike, why don't you tell us about those? Well, tomorrow at uh, noon Eastern, I will be doing a program called Dare to Think Out Loud. And then on Sunday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern, I have a program called Addicted to Your Own Destruction. And this past week, I had uh, my good friend Jim here as a guest and uh, had my son on who is involved in the firearms industry. And uh, Jim, would you, how would you describe his uh, presentation? That was, it was very, very interesting. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, it was a riveting two hours. There was a lot, to, a lot said, a lot of stuff uh, that you know, I didn't know about the firearms industry. And I was wrapped up in it, having been on the NRA board for six years. Um, I knew a lot of the stuff that was going on, but there were other things that, uh, from the inside that I found very interesting, but it was a great show. And I encourage people to go back and uh, check out the replay. If you didn't catch it, uh, you can go to freedomslips.com and, uh, just click on the archives and they've got the username and password right there on the screen. So it tells you how to get it. Uh, so it's all free and I encourage you to take advantage of it because, uh, both the shows, uh, are just, uh, fantastic. 
and uh, Mike has Brad on the Friday shows on a regular basis, and um, they're just, every single one has just been fantastic. I love them. I download them and put them on my phone and listen while I'm cutting the grass. (laughs) Thank you for that, Jim. I appreciate it. And tomorrow, as I stated, tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. Eastern, I will be on a program. I think it's called The Perfect Triangle with Giuseppe Vaffanculo. And we are going to be talking about the international banker and organized crime connections to the Trump administration. And that's on uh, Freedom Slips also, Studio A. That is, sir. It is. Studio A at uh, 6 p.m., I believe it is. Yeah, and that's the same at 6 p.m. Eastern, and that's the same where you catch all of Mike's shows, uh, freedomslips.com, Studio A. And I'll put a link in the chat room here for just a second. So uh, if anybody else has anything, parting shots they want to put in there, feel free. Don't talk about my hero like that. My hero. Which hero is that? <laughs> Michael, did, do you know who has the longest written constitution right now? Uh, no, I do not. It blew me away. Uh, the average is around fifteen to 20,000 words. Alabama at 350,000 words. Ah, my goodness. They must, a, Absolutely, we know that lawyers wrote that. <laughs> That's amazing. I, yeah, I, I can't. Nobody unless else trying to write around all the crap. You know, I don't know. No one else. No one else can write so many words that mean absolutely nothing and charge so much for doing so. Yeah, yeah just take your pick. Read any Supreme Court ruling. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of superfluous words used in those things. Big ones. What do superfluous mean? <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> yeah, look it up. <laughs> Increase your vocabulary. You'll learn more if you look it up than hey, if I Brad. tell you. <laughs> Appreciate you being on, Brad. Thanks, yeah, buddy. Definitely, Brad. Thanks so much for being here. And, yeah, no problem, guys. Sure. And we wish you the best in your endeavors there in uh, Noble County. Pray for him. Yeah, buddy. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Say a prayer. Say a prayer. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we still got a couple of minutes left here. Um, ah, good. Thank you. Hey, Jim. What's that? Leon here. Yeah, go ahead, Leon. Yeah, years ago uh, on one of the networks, Linda Runyon, Linda Runyon, of the field for anybody that wants to prepare. Uh, she had several things there of just the wild food, grasses, dandelions, everything else around you that's edible over 40-some years. If you go to her website, ofthefield.com, you'll find a lot of interesting things there. And she had a deck of cards for survivalists and everything else if they're in the woods. You might find it interesting and another good survival tool for anybody out there that want to know. Plus, she had some videos and stuff, books also. Yeah, there are tons and tons of great sources out there. Uh, I met bunches of them when I was uh, doing survival shows back between 96 and 2000. And uh, I wish I could remember this guy's name. I'll see if I can't dig the books out. He had a whole series of little tiny um, uh, flip manual type things that had uh, one with edible plants and uh, medications and all, all different kinds of stuff that you could use. 
uh, that were small enough that you could put in a backpack or a pocket or whatnot. But uh, we might have to do a session on that here in the coming days. But uh, for now, we are out of time. So again, I want to say thank you to our guests, Mike and Brad, and everybody that stuck with us throughout the whole two hours and all those out there listening in Eurofolk land. Thanks so much for being here and take care of your bodies because the only place you have to live, we will be back live on Monday. Tomorrow's going to be a replay of this show. So uh, we will catch you then. And like I said, take care, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you soon. Take care and God bless. Later and thanks for being full. Yep. Hey, Jim, do you remember Matthew Stern? Hold on. Thank <laughs> you.